So good morning and welcome to Fearless Church and Merry Christmas. Now let me hear all the kids in the room. Merry Christmas. Awesome. We're so glad to have all you kids in the room. Moms, dads, grandparents, don't worry. We realize uh, over the next hour and a half while I'm talking, your kids may move around. Don't worry, it won't be that long. But as they're, as they're moving around, if you need to walk out of the room, that's right, that's fine. If you need to stay in the room and, and we'll just kind of uh, manage that, that'll be awesome. So if you're a guest of ours, throughout the month of December, we've been in a series of messages that we have entitled Christmas Carols. And the idea behind this series is to look at some of the most beloved Christmas carols that we sing this time of year and look at the deeper meaning behind the lyrics that have been written for us. Some of them have been written and we have sung for literally hundreds of years. And so this morning, what I want to do is take just a few moments to look at probably one of the most beloved Christmas carols that's sang on Christmas Eve all over the world, and that's the Christmas carol, Silent Night. As I was looking at some history on this uh, particular carol, it was written in 1816 by a priest who lived in Austria, and his name was Joseph Moore. And Joseph wrote the lyrics to this. He actually wrote six verses to it, wrote the lyrics to it. And two years later, in the year 1818, at St. Nicholas's Church, he sang this song along with the choir director, this guy named Franz Gruber. And they put together this melody and sang it for the very first time. Well, while they were singing it, there was a guy in the audience who was an, uh, an organ repairman and even an organ builder. And he listened to it, loved it so much that he asked for the he asked for the actual music and melody, went back to his village and shared that with two families that were actually folk singers that would travel. And so all over Northern Europe, uh, people begin to hear this carol by these folk singing families that went here and there all over Northern Europe. And then finally, in the year 1839, this song was sung by one of those families, the Rayner family, just outside the famous church, the Trinity Church in New York City. And so it came to America. Over the years, there's been uh, different arrangements. It's been translated in over 300 different languages. Even at one point in World War I, there was a cease battle moment on Christmas Eve, and this was one of the songs the soldiers sang late in night when they had ceased the war, even for just one night. So you can imagine, in French and German and English, all singing this song together. Now, when we sing it in the English version, we usually only sing three of the six verses that were originally written back in 1816. So what I want to do is I want to look at those three verses just for a few moments, and then we're actually going to do what you would imagine. We're going to light candles, and we're going to sing this song together, as many of you have done for a long time. So this song actually conjures up for us oftentimes a memory or a visual of the nativity scene. And so we imagine the words of Luke. Luke is one of the gospel writers, and Luke did a lot of research to figure out who Jesus is and what he said and did, including his birth. And Luke actually records these words, which many of you have heard before. Mary gave birth to her first child, which was a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Now, in this moment, what I usually do is I picture this moment where Mary has the child, Jesus, wrapped up, and she's pondering and thinking about who this child is, and that's where the song begins for us. Silent night, holy night. All is calm, all is bright. If you're a follower of Jesus, you recognize any time a child is born, it is a miracle of God. It's an amazing thing. In fact, many of you have prayed 
some heartache even, prayed for years that you might become pregnant or your wife might become pregnant or whatever that might be. And, and, and if it happens, you're so excited. And then the birth of a child, we celebrate. That's a miracle. It's wonderful. It's great. But followers of Jesus recognize this isn't just a normal miracle. This is a holy night, a holy moment. See, 750 years before Jesus was born, there was a man by the name of Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet of God. In other words, the spirit of God was within him. And when Isaiah spoke, everyone listened intently because they believed, man, he is speaking on behalf of God. The words he speaks are the words God wants us to hear. And he prophesied about this moment over 750 years before it happened. He said this, he said, the Lord himself is gonna give you a sign. You'll know what God's doing. What's that sign? He says, the virgin will conceive a child she will give birth to a son and he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is not some just normal, everyday God miracle of a baby boy being born. This is a holy moment. This is Emmanuel, God loving us so much that he comes down and takes on flesh and is one of us, God with us. And the lyrics of the song continue and remind us that this child was born of a virgin, round yon virgin mother and child. Nine months, obviously, before Jesus was born, Mary finds herself in her hometown of Nazareth, a village maybe four or 500 people, and all of a sudden, an angel appears to her. The angel Gabriel, and he, he tells her exactly what's gonna happen. You're gonna conceive, and you're gonna give birth to a child, and he will be the son of the Most High. She says, what? <laughs> How is this even possible? Like, I'm not married, I've never been with a man, I'm a virgin, and then he begins to describe me. He says, look, it's gonna be a work of God. The Holy Spirit's gonna come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you, which again, doesn't answer very specific how this is all gonna happen. Oftentimes, that's how God works with us. He gives you exactly what's gonna happen, but maybe not all the details that you might want, but he says, here's the important part. The baby to be born is going to be what? Holy, set apart, separate, unique, different than any child in the history of the world, and he will be called what? The Son of God. Again, the lyrics remind us that this child is a holy infant set apart, none like him ever in the history world, past, present, or future. In fact, the prophet Isaiah would describe this child in a rather famous passage of scripture. Many of you have heard this time of year. For a child is born to us. Again, keep in mind, this is over 750 years before the birth of Jesus. A son is given to us. The government will be on his shoulders. He will be called and known to us as a wonderful counselor. It's a mighty God, his everlasting father and prince of peace. The prince of peace is given to us so that we can experience the peace of God in our lives. So like the song says, we too might have hope to sleep in heavenly peace. You know, Jesus Christ came on this earth to give you a peace, to give you a rest that you cannot imagine. In fact, as an adult, he's often quoted as saying this, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. I don't know how the last few weeks, months, or maybe even 2023 has been for you and your family. Maybe things have been great. Maybe this is the year you got married. Maybe this is the year you had your first child, bought a home, whatever it might be. But for others, it's been tough. It's been some really hard things. And, and you may be even sitting here or watching online and saying, nah, I don't know. I, I feel this heavy burden and I would love the idea of rest, but I'm not sure. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I came so that you can have a peace that passes all understanding. The Prince of Peace wants to get, bring you and I rest, hope, and peace. And he says, 
take my yoke upon you. In other words, link yourself to me, connect yourself to me, and let me, let me teach you. I'm humble and I'm gentle at heart. You'll find rest for your souls. Again, following Jesus is not easy. If somebody tells you that following Jesus is easy and everything in your life will be great, that person's lying to you. Slap them in the face. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. But they will have to forgive you. It's really weird. We'll talk about that a different week. But no, no. Look, it's not easy. Followers of Jesus, they experience loss of job, pain, suffering, experience all the things, the devastating things we see all over the world. But the difference is their peace is not based on external circumstances or situations. Followers of Jesus have a peace that passes all understanding based on the internal presence of God. It's not just that God helps me avoid hard situations and circumstances. No, he walks with me. Emmanuel, God with us. And so as we come to the second verse in the song, it begins like this. Silent night, holy night, shepherds quake at the sight. I don't know what your church background is, but some of you know, you're like, okay, I, I know what's happening. You're in your mind picturing the shepherd's field when all of a sudden the angel appeared to these shepherds standing out in the field as they're watching their flocks. In fact, Luke records it this way. He says, that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby. They were guarding their sheep. And then here, here, here it happens. An angel of the Lord appeared among them. The radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. And how do you think they responded? Just like you and I would. They were terrified. And Joseph Moore, as he writes these lyrics hundreds of years ago, he captures that. He says, the shepherds were quaking at the sight. Glorious streams from heaven afar. This angel came with a life-changing, world-changing message that Christ the Savior is born. He's borrowing and grabbing the words from the Gospel of Luke. As Luke tells us, yes, the shepherds, of course, were scared to death, but the angel reassured them and said, don't be afraid. Today, I'm gonna to bring you news that will forever change your life. Good news, the best news. And this news is good for all people. Doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, doesn't matter what you've ever done. This is great news. Today in the city of David is a savior, savior born for you, who is Christ the Lord. Well, as this angel shares with them, he continues to talk and describe to them what they will see. He says, look, you're gonna recognize him by this sign. You'll know the Messiah has come, who the anointed one is, who the Christ is. By this, you're gonna find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth. He's gonna be lying in the manger. So of course, these shepherds were excited, excited to see the promised Messiah whom they had hoped for, whom their parents had hoped for, their grandparents, generations before them had hoped that the Messiah would come. The same Messiah that Isaiah, 750 years before, had prophesied and promised as a spokesman of God. And so they hurried to the village and they found Mary and Joseph and there was the baby lying in the manger. Again, the song conjures up this memory of this nativity moment. What must they have thought? They show up just like the angel declared. And here's this child wrapped in these soft clothing, lying in a manger, kept in a place that normally the sacrificial lambs would be kept. And they're seeing this and, and we enter into the third verse that we often sing and in fact, we're gonna sing in a few moments. It goes on and it says, silent night, holy night, son of God loves pure light. Who are these shepherds looking at? What were they looking at? What does love look like? You know, love's one of those abstract ideas like you, many of you have experienced romantic love, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, whatever. 
or maybe a parental love or a brotherly love or love among friends, whatever that might be. But it's hard to describe, it's hard to articulate. But God desires that we would know, understand, and experience true love. In fact, one of Jesus's followers, his name was John. He's a famous apostle. You, you've probably heard him in church, the apostle John, right? Years after the resurrection, John is trying to help people like me and you follow Jesus. And he describes to us, he says, you need to understand that God, God is the embodiment of love. God is love. And he shows or demonstrates how much he loves us by how? Sending his only son into the world. What an amazing picture. What an amazing example of an unfailing love because this love did something that we desperately needed. A love so that we might have eternal life through him, through this child. He goes on and he says, look, this is real love. You wanna know what love looks like? It's not that we love God. In fact, in other places of scripture, it actually talks about the idea that you and I, we're not born naturally running towards God, naturally pursuing him, naturally loving him. Instead, we are responding to his love that is initiated by him. And he said, God loves us first. How do we know this? He said, because he sent his son. So right now, you may be watching online. You may be in the stream. You may think, ah, man, I'm, I, God doesn't love me. And you may, you may have a file versus information in your own heart and mind why God wouldn't love you. You may say, well, I don't love me. Why would God love me? But I would tell you, I would tell you, scripture would tell you, God loves you so much that he showed you by sending you his son. He sent his son, not to just be born and wrapped in soft clothing and laid in a manger, but he sent his son to do what? To be a sacrifice, to take away our sins. See, here's the reality. The Bible actually teaches that all of us disobey God. And that disobedience is called sin. And then the Bible starts to tell some things that I don't really like, but over and over in many different ways, it's said this way, that because of my sin, it separates me from God right now and actually for all of eternity. Because of my sin, I'm born separated from God. Because of your sin, you're born separated from God. And because of our sin, we will remain in that state for all of eternity. In other words, when we die, we'll be eternally separated from God in hell, which is Horrible, horrific news, so much so that some churches don't even want to think about it or talk about it. But over and over again, we see this in the Bible, and here's the worst part of it all. There's nothing we can do about it. We can go to church. We can even try to be good enough and avoid enough bad stuff, but nothing can make us right with God. But God still loves us. And here's the weird part. He still wants us. He looks at my dirty, dingy life, the things that I think, say, done, past, present, even my future sin, and he says, I still want you to be my child. But because our God is a just God, he punishes all sin. You ever notice how we always want justice when something happens in our world that's wrong? When something happens to someone else or especially to our own selves, we want justice. If we, if we end up going to court with somebody who has actually broken a law and actually hurt a family member, we want a good judge to enact justice. You know why that is? Because we're made in the image of God. Because we reflect his image we want justice because our God is a just God. So here's the truth. A just God always, always punishes sin. Either we receive that punish, punishment or someone else does. And that's the beautiful story of Jesus. Jesus came not just to be a little baby in a manger. He came to live a sinless, perfect life. And he came and when he hung on the cross, he didn't die on the cross for his mistakes, for his disobedience, for his sin. He died on the cross for my sin 
and your sin. He took it away. He became that sacrifice to take away our sins so that anyone, it doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, anyone who puts their faith in Jesus could have a relationship with God and their sin forever removed. Their sin's still punished. How's their sin punished? By Jesus. He took the punishment of that sin. He took that punishment on the cross. So as we think about the lyrics in the third verse of Silent Night, we're reminded of God's love Love's pure light, but we're also reminded of God's work. Check this out. Jesus is the dawn of redeeming grace. He's the dawn. He's the beginning of God's redemptive work. Now, what does redeeming grace even mean? Well, grace means unearned, unmerited, undeserved favor. In other words, God knows everything about us. I don't know if that freaks you out. It freaks me out, right? He knows all the things we've ever thought, said, and done that's sinful, all of it, even the future sin, like I said before, but yet he still chooses us. He gives us his favor. That's grace. That grace is free to us, but it cost God his only son. It had to be paid for. It had to be redeemed. Webster's Dictionary defines redeeming as to buy back or to free from captivity by the payment of ransom. Our redemption, our salvation is made possible by the blood of Jesus, by his sacrifice. And the birth of Jesus is the beginning of that story, the dawn of redeeming grace. And anyone, anyone can experience God's saving grace, God's redeeming grace by choosing to make a commitment to have Jesus Christ be not only their redeemer, but their ruler. Not only their savior, but their Lord. And as we sing the last part of that song, we say, Jesus, Lord at thy birth. Jesus, Lord at thy birth. He didn't become Lord at his birth. He's always been Lord because he is eternal. But this is the recognition in the song to say it wasn't that he became Lord when he went to the cross or when he became an adult. It's that he is Lord from the very beginning, the dawn of his redeeming grace. He is the Lord of the world. And my question isn't it is whether or not you think he's the Lord of the world. I guess my question for me and even you is he the Lord of your world? I mean, who runs your life, really, honestly? Is it one of those things that you're seeking God and, and wanting him to, to lead you and guide you and, and be your redeemer and your ruler? Or do you run this show? You know, one of the early followers of Jesus, famous guy, his name was Paul. You probably recognize him, Apostle Paul, right? Wrote 13 of the his 27 historical documents that we call the New Testament. Paul tried to help people follow Jesus. And this is what he said about Jesus as Lord. He said that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, Lord of your life, ruler of your life, master of your life, king of your life, the one running the show. And he says, and you believe in your heart, not only that he died on the cross, but that God actually raised him up from the grave. What's gonna happen to you? You will be saved. You will be redeemed. You will experience the redeeming grace of God. So I wanna challenge you. As you process, like you're gonna have time. Some of you have got, you're getting in your car. I've talked to a few people getting in a plane in the next couple of days. You're gonna have some travel time. You're gonna have some downtime when the kids finally fall asleep, covered up with wrapping paper and presents tomorrow morning or whatever it is, right? You're gonna have these moments and I just want you to capture a few of those moments these next few days and ask yourself, not anybody else, ask yourself, is Jesus my Lord? 
Is he my Lord? Do I want him just as savior, redeemer, or do I want him as ruler? When Jesus invites us to follow him, he invites us to experience him as the one who rescues us, but also the one who rules our lives. And the apostle Paul would say, you wanna, you wanna be saved, you wanna be redeemed, you make Jesus the Lord of your life. Well then, then the shepherds, they see Jesus, they experience this love's pure light, this dawn of redeeming grace, and they tell everyone, this is what happened. Out in the fear, this angel came to us and said, Christ, the Savior is born. This is the, the Savior of the world has been born. And, and, and everybody that heard him, they were astonished. But Mary, Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Whenever I read this passage of scripture, or I think about even this song, Silent Night, I always picture Mary looking at baby Jesus. I mean, clearly she didn't know everything he would become and all that he would do. I mean, she's holding her savior in her arms. And I start to think, I wonder what she thought, what she pondered, what she treasured up in her heart. And, and in my mind, I wonder how much it does really kind of align with the words that that young priest wrote over 200 years ago. Does she think things like, man, this night is completely holy. It's separated. There's this moment in history in all the world that is being changed. She recognizes, I know my story. I know this child. You know, you might doubt. You might doubt. So there's people in this room. There's people online that are like, man, I, I doubt the virgin birth. There is one person that never, never one time doubted it, and it was her. Mary didn't doubt. She knew without a doubt. And she experienced that night as she watched the God of this world sleep. How could he sleep with all that's going on? And, and, and she hears the stories of the shepherds that say, man, an angel came and appeared to us and this baby, she had heard it before, but now to hear some complete strangers come in and say, this is Christ. He's our savior. He's born. Christ the savior is born. He loves pure light. He's the son of God. He's the dawn of redeeming grace. This is Jesus. This is Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. It's this particular verse, the third verse, that we do something that almost every church in our area and a lot of churches all over the world will do tonight. We will sing and light candles. And as we light candles, in just a moment, we're gonna light candles and you'll help the person next to you. And before you know it, in a matter of about 60 seconds, the whole room, everyone's holding candlelight. It's a, it's a cool moment. And it may bring back memories. I call them temporal memories that are special. They're, they're temporal because they're about this life. You may remember singing this song with your grandmother. You may remember a time with your kids. And those are all wonderful memories. But I wanna challenge you this year. When we sing this song in just a few moments to think about the lyrics, to think about the reality that Jesus is indeed the son of God. He is love's pure light. He is the embodiment of what it looks like to love living his life to sacrifice so that we could have eternal life. He is the dawn of redeeming grace. When we get to that part, I just, man, just let it soak in. If you don't want to sing that part, just listen or read the words. We'll have them on the screen. And you just soak it in, man, that he is the one that redeemed me, offering me this unmerited, undeserved favor, this redeeming grace. He is the Lord, the Lord at thy birth. Jesus said about himself, I'm the light of the world. And as we share this light with one another, as we sing this song, 
May we be forever reminded that he is indeed, he is indeed our savior, the dawn of our redeeming grace. Silent night is more than just a carol that we sing. It's more than just a familiar song. Silent night is actually an act of worship, an act of recognition, where we recognize who Jesus is and why he came. He came to redeem us. So we celebrate him as redeemer. Right now, I'm gonna ask Caitlin and Nicole if they'll make their way out here. They're gonna lead us in this song. And if you would go ahead and grab your candle, or if you're next to somebody that can't grab their candle, limited mobility, whatever, please help them grab that. And I wanna pray for us. And after I pray, I want us to take time to sing this song along with these ladies who will lead us. And I want you to sing it as an act of worship, not just a memory, not just a a fuzzy moment that feels special, but instead, worship and recognition saying, God, we see, we see what love's pure light looks like. God, we see and recognize and worship you for the redeeming grace that you bring into our lives. So let me pray for us and we'll begin singing and then we'll pass the light all over the auditorium. Let's pray together.